We're picking up from the story of Exodus. So we've heard the whole story along uh, right through to the fact that the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt and they cry out to God and God sends a great lot of plagues and eventually Pharaoh says, fine, let the people go. And so the people have been freed. And last week we talked about where they ended up. Last week we talked about the fact that they didn't just get teleported straight from slavery into freedom, happiness and the promised land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't. They actually ended up in this in-between place. A place that last week I called, am I really loud? Really loud. Like I feel like the people next door can hear me. Is that better? Uh, so we talked about this place where they were, were no longer slaves but they weren't yet in the promised land that they knew that God had promised them. And I called it a liminal space. So that place that's uh, like the doorway, a threshold from one thing to the next. Like when you're walking through a doorway, you're not in that room anymore, but you're not in the one to come. And we talked about the idea of how we need to make sure that we honour the place between what's no longer and what is not yet. That liminal, that in-between space. And so we're picking up a little bit more of that story. And uh, we've got, a, got our lovely picture here. So if you want to follow along, we're in Exodus 15 to 17. This is where they ended up. They ended up in nowhere, in no man's land, in the middle of nowhere. So I was thinking about this idea of this is where they'd ended up. And I was thinking about why. Why? And why is it that we sometimes end up in those places ourselves when we're moving from what is no longer to what is not yet and we end up in this space of like, I do not know where I am. I do not know where I'm going. I don't even, not even sure I know who I am anymore. Which way is up? I am lost. And I was thinking about the idea that perhaps sometimes God allows us to stay there and linger for a reason. So I've got this beautiful picture here um, of a tree with some roots. And I was thinking along the idea that perhaps we end up in those liminal spaces, those desert times between the not, no longer and the not yet, and God lets us stay there because he wants us to put down some deep roots. So now, if you don't water very often, a plant might die. If you water too often... A plant may never grow shallow roots and will always, sorry, may never grow deep roots and will always grow very shallow roots. And so when the hot sun bakes the ground, the tree with the shallow roots will die. So if you water intermittently, so they tell me, not a gardener, no way at all, but if you water intermittently but very deeply, you encourage the roots to grow deeper. And so if the roots have grown deeper, they can actually access a deeper source of water. But the other thing that they get, a tree will get, is stability. So if a tree has very deep, very shallow roots, hot baking sun, it will die. But also if a wind comes along, it's gone. Storm comes along, that tree is gone. But the tree that has been watered deeply is now drought tolerant and is actually far more stable. So I was thinking along the lines of that idea for us in our times of when we are in those moments where we feel like it is just a drought, 
Perhaps God is letting us linger there for a little bit in the in-between place so that we might dig some deeper roots and be that little bit more stable and be able to endure the drought. I wonder if God leaves us here on purpose so that we can rely on him fully. So we're picking up the Exodus story and this is the first thing they did. They had a whinge. They said, we're thirsty to Moses. So uh, in Exodus chapter 15, 22, then Moses led Israel away from the Red Sea. So the sea has parted. We are now in the no longer, we're in the middle They've led them away from the Red Sea. They went into the desert of Shur for three days. They traveled in the desert. They didn't find any water there. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink its water. It was bitter, it says in verse 23. The people told Moses they weren't happy with him. They said, what are we supposed to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a stick. Moses threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. In the absolute and utter wilderness, there is no water for those people to drink. And they are completely reliant on God. God is toughening them up and orienting them to him. It's not like they could, um, you know, rely on their own instinct and their own bearings and pull out their maps and their GPSs and go, well, we know where to find the water. We are all good. We've got it sorted. No, they actually had to rely on on God. And even in the miraculous moment when they've found the water and it is not possible to drink, then God is like, well, I will show you that you have to fully rely on me. And then, so he said, trust me. Oh yeah, the next thing that happens is he says, trust me. And then it says in verse 27, the people came to Elim. It had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. I would camp there too. God is providing for them. But the next thing they did is they said, oh, we're starving. It sounds like my car trip that's coming up to Queensland soon. <laughs> we're starving. The whole company of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron there in the wilderness. The Israelites said, why, did God, why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? You've brought us out into the wilderness to starve us to death the whole company of Israel. So they're having another whinge. And God said to Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from the skies for you. And the people will go out and gather it every day. And that is exactly what God did. In fact, he did that for 40 years. They didn't go out hunting. They didn't plant any crops or grow anything. They fully relied on God alone for their complete and utter sustenance. This is a wilderness moment like you have never seen a wilderness moment and the only place to look for your trust and your supply is to God. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites and I've kicked them out of the car. No, that's not what he said. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. In the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. I can't help but read that and think of MasterChef because that's all they cooked on MasterChef was like quail. Is that right? Was that those little? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, God fully supplied their every need. 
quail in the evening, bread in the morning, water from um, a place that was otherwise bitter. And then a couple of hours later in the car drive, no, it's a, a while later in the journey, so they've moved on to the next spot, and they are thirsty again. The people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? I think they forgot what happened a few weeks earlier. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And then they said, are we there yet? Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. I already went with that gag. So they were thirsty and there was no water, so God provided water. And they were hungry and there was no food, so God provided the food. And they were thirsty again. In a minute, we're going to talk about that. Actually, does it go there? No. What I think God was saying was, have we hit rock bottom yet? Have we hit the lowest possible place where you are sitting there going, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to figure my way out of this. In fact, I'm not even sure who I am. Are we there yet? And the people went, yep. And he said, great. Now you can trust me. Now you can trust me. And at every corner, he did. Now are you ready to trust the creator of the universe? I guess the times when we come into um, those moments when we're in um, perhaps a liminal space, a time of change, a time of trauma, something has happened, something that we can't, um, we can't handle ourselves has occurred, whatever it is, we actually find ourselves questioning God. Am I just stupid for having trusted him? Like, where is he? Why, can I, why is God not answering this? Um, does God even really exist? We might go so far as to say. Actually, I don't know where God is. I don't know who I am. And what kind of good creator God would leave me in this kind of dreadful place? What's the deal with that? Why would a good God do that? And we actually grumble against God ourselves. And I think it's because he wants us to fully rely on him. He wants us to completely trust him because he is good for it. He is ultimately trustworthy. Um, and we need to make sure that in those moments when we are completely lost and confused, we don't look for just a quick fix. So there was a story of a man and he's wandering in the desert and he has no water. He's drunk his last water three days ago and he's heading out in the desert and he's thinking this, this is it. It's his last days. He is going to die. And in the distance, he spots a rusty old pump. And he's like, no way, a pump. Maybe there's water there. So he, he gets to the pump and he, as he's just, just about dying of thirst, he pumps that pump and it won't pump. And then he looks a bit closer and he realises that there's actually a note on the pump. And the note says, Dear stranger, this pump, as of June 1932, is just fine. I put a new sucker washer in it and it should last quite a few years. But the washer dries out and the pump needs to be primed. 
under the rock, you'll see, I've buried a jar of water out of the sun and all corked up. There's just enough water in the jar to prime the pump. But if you take a drink first, there won't be enough. You need to pour about a quarter of the jar into the pump, let it sit for a moment to soak, then pour the rest in medium fast and pump like heck. You will get water. Have faith and trust. I have never known this pump to run dry. When you get all watered up, when you've had your fill and you've washed and you've loaded up your water bottles, fill the jar back up, cork it, and put it back where you found it. Leave everything just as you found it for the next stranger who passes by. Desert Pete. I, just, I think it's a great analogy for us in those moments where we can actually say, you know what, I'm going to look for the quick fix, glug, 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 glug. End of story. And that's it. Or we can actually stop and say, what's the actual solution here? What's the actual solution here, God? If I use the water and I prime the pump, I will have all the water I need, not just a quick fix of water. And the world actually encourages us to look for the quick fixes. The world encourages us around us to look for those quick fix moments. But actually, I think God wants us to stop and to sit in our desert moment and say, I'm in a desert moment and I've got nothing and I'm going to have to listen to God and trust him because he's good for it. On the other hand, I was thinking what we also don't want to do is, uh, is opt not for the quick fix, but actually be so darn resolute that we never see any fix at all. And I'm sure that you will all know the story of the man who was in a flood and the floodwaters came and uh, he went up to the second story and he leaned out the water and saw the flood waters coming some more and his neighbour had a little dinghy, rowed it over and said, mate, want to hop in my boat? I'm going to higher land where there's no flood. No, no, it's okay. God's going to save me. And the flood waters rise and he goes up and he goes a bit higher and he's kind of perched up near the roof and, uh, and a helicopter comes along. Rescue helicopter. Westpac, rescue helicopter. No, that's over the ocean. Anyway, the helicopter comes along and they're like, we've come to rescue you. Do you need us to lift you up? He goes, no, no, no. God's going to help me. Uh, and then the floodwaters come and he gets washed away and he drowns. And he's, uh, he's there before God at the end of his time. And he says, God, why didn't you save me? I mean, you guys know the punchline. Well, I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter. You know, we actually need to find the place in between. So stoically going, nah, God's going to rescue me and it's going to be a miracle and it's going to be amazing and say no to all the other options. And we need to make sure that we are not just looking for those quick fixes, but we actually set our eyes and our focus on what God wants us to do and to learn. God put the people in the desert for that reason, to reorient them to him. And I think he allows that to happen to us as well. Oh, there's my pump, just in case you needed a visual. In Psalm 22, verse 4 to 5, it says, In you, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out, 
and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So this is a psalm looking back at the story of the people of Israel because God actually has a great big story, an overarching plan going on here. He went into time and he pulled out a man called Abraham and he said, through you I am going to undo the chaos of the world because the people of the world are not living the way I want them to live. Abraham, through you, I'm going to bring about generations of people. And that was the people of Israel whom he rescued out of slavery, put into the wilderness, reoriented, and during that time he gave them a whole lot of rules to live by. He revealed himself in a way that he had never done before. And over the time they came into the promised land and they lived as his people and then... He he kind of got to the crescendo of his story where he sent Jesus and he said, now this is my actual saving plan is the person of Jesus. And Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we could look back and go, to you they cried out and were saved, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. God is actually good for his word. That's what his righteousness is. He is good for what he said he would do. He promised he would save and he has. And so it is up to us in those moments, in the desert times, am I going to trust the good God who is good for his word with my life or am I going to look for the quick fix? Am I going to trust a good God? And I hope that you trust. There's a... um, There's a moment that I reflect on that really speaks volumes to me about trusting God with the big, big plan and that is the person of Jesus when he is about to die on a cross and he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is in a wilderness place. He is in a desert place. He is in a liminal space if I have ever seen one. And he cries out to God, as we would, where are you, God? What are you doing? I don't like this one bit. And then, at the end of um, the book of Luke, we hear that Jesus calls out to God in a loud voice and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. He actually got to the point where he said, there's a big picture here. And I'm a part of it. And he actually brought about the end of the work of the good God who can be trusted. So my question for you is, will you trust in whatever whatever it is that is your liminal space? And it might be really big or it might be lots of small ones. What is your wilderness thing where you know that you are no longer but not yet and you are in that in-between place and God needs to reorient you and refocus you and put your attention back to him and say, I'm a good God, trust me. The world says, people say, show me first, then I'll trust you. God says, trust me and I will show you life. Trust me and he's good for it. I've got one more story out of the people of Israel to share with you. Um, but, but I do need some helpers. It's, uh, where's, where's Phil? Phil Box, come on up. Who thinks Phil's strong? 
Yes, he is, says Ali. Let's give him a cheer. I'm wondering if you can pick up my lovely Moses staff there and just stand stand with your Moses staff there beside you. So this is the staff that he parted the Red Sea with. And uh, there's a time, so after they've whinged for their food and they've whinged for some water and then all of a sudden there's some Amalekites that they have to go into battle against. These are people who have sat in slavery for a very, very long time. They are not very good for the whole battlefront thing. This is not what they're trained for. And so they're going into battle and Moses says, don't worry, I will be up on the hill and as you're battling, if you forget to trust God, look up at me and I will hold my staff up and that will remind you that we will have the victory. Let's let's hoist up your staff there. Uh, how do we think he held it up? Like, like maybe like this, two hands. Let's go up. Yes, that's it. Is that a bit heavy for you? It's probably a bit heavier than the staff that Moses held up. So, so as they're in battle down there, they are every now and then, whatever it is that they're doing, they're looking up and they're going, that yes, God is for us because Moses is up there and he is reminding us that God is for us. And every time it, it dropped down, the people would lose. So he'd be like, hoist it back up because, um, and, and I don't know whether when, when it dropped down, God was not allowing them to win or whether when it dropped down, they got discouraged of heart and stopped. And I don't know, but is it getting heavy? Yeah. Yep. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this. Could you slow it just slightly because it's across the words. Yeah. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And, and it was a really tricky place to be. And they had to trust God. So when we are in desert times, whether we are thirsty or hungry or lost or confused or broken or in battle, it actually can't be something that we do alone. It actually can't be. So in the story, Moses had a couple of mates who came and helped him. So come on, where's some mates? Yes, we've got some mates. Let's give the mates a clap. No, we're helping him. We're not hindering. We're helping him. So so his mates came up and said, we are here for you. They didn't say, oh, give me that staff and hold it up because the people needed to see Moses holding it up. So they came and they said, if this is hard, let us hold your arms up for you. Let us hold your arms up for you when it gets hard because when it is the heat of the battle or thirsty or lost in the wilderness... We actually cannot do this alone. And so if we were to see somebody struggling and lost in the wilderness, in a liminal space, in a difficult place, what we ought to do is say, not I'm going to rescue you, not I know all the answers, not well I've been there and this is how I did it, but how can I help you ask God? How can I help you to ask God, how can I lift your hands up 
And that's the picture that we want. And I, I've specifically chosen blokes here because I would love it if our men said to our other men, I want, I want to help you lift your hands to God. Not, I want to sort out your problems. Not, I've got great advice for you. But I want to help you lift your hands to God and say, I don't know. What are you trying to teach me? I am listening. I got nowhere else to look for answers. Thanks, guys. The, the guys are going to come up and, and we're going to, we're going to sing and we're going to think about what does that mean? And I don't know about you. I wonder whether this is a moment where you can stop and go, what's, what's my liminal space? What's my wilderness? What, what thing is it that I have, I have let go of, but not quite grasped? And I wonder if you want to hold that in your mind's eye right now. What, what is it for you? What is the thing that God is trying to reorient you in? And he might be actually yelling, going, this way, this way, look to me. Or he might go, I can hear that you are thirsting. Don't just have a quick fix. Look to me. And don't just sit there sulking, having a pity party. Purposefully look for me. And I wonder whether you need to look around you and go, whose arms do I need to hold up? And to make that a default. When we go into conversations with people, that sounds really hard. How can I lift your hands for you? How can I help you come to God? How can I help you hear from the creator God who is a good God help you in a wilderness place?